Hello, I'm Howard. Welcome to the Friday Show, the show that definitely did not barge a bunch of school kids out of the way to get a bottle of Prime from Aldi, which is definitely not now available on my website for purchase for a competitive price of £24. Uh, we're looking back at City's impressive 3-1 win at Leeds as Premier League football finally returned for the champions and looking forward too to the match versus Everton on New Year's Eve. And we catch up with Toffee and Matt Jones, who it's fair to say is not overly confident for the weekend. It's another packed, massive show. To discuss all this, delighted to be joined by two stalwarts of the podcasting game. It's Lloyd and it's Joe. Uh, good morning, Lloyd. How are you doing? Morning. Um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yeah? Good. Looking forward to... You at the game at the weekend, or has your injury prevented you? Or has the train system in this country prevented you from going to it? It's definitely the train system. Definitely the train system. Um, yeah, I've made very few games this, this season, mainly due to the knee, but then when I've given it a crack due to the trains. So, a uh, bit of a nightmare. But there yeah, we go. It's three o'clock. It uh, might be tough to watch it anywhere, to be honest. So, yeah, no, exactly. exactly. Easy, if you, easy if you went to another country where it'll obviously be readily available. But hey, that's, well, that's another podcast, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Joe, good morning. How are you? Morning. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, looking forward to the game tomorrow. We're right back into the thick of it now, aren't we? It's like the World Cup never happened. <laughs> it is. Well, it always said the World Cup would be a distant memory the minute one domestic game happened again. Uh, though, of course, <laughs> there were some domestic games at the lower league level there uh, that carried on as normal for quite a long time. But yeah, it, it does feel like a distant memory already, to be honest. And of course. Yeah. Chelsea twice in a week. Yeah, there's no rest for the wicked uh, or for Premier League football. Any plans for New Year's Eve? Uh, I've got a quick question for you before we start. Start with you, Joe. Worst night of the year, discuss. Now, as you two are a lot younger than me, you're probably going to disagree with that. So, Worst night of the year, what, what in the sense of going out, you mean? Yeah. Or just in general? Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I've done it maybe once, twice in my lifetime and decided to knock it on the head. That was more than enough for me. I'm a home bird, me. Mm. If I am to go out, I'd much prefer to go to like a pub setting than yeah. anywhere that's uh, any anything more than your average pub size for me is uh, one too many, shall we say. <laughs> so yeah, definitely not my bag to be going out on New Year's. No, and having a match <coughs> on New Year's Eve does not help, though it's still better than having on New Year's Day. <laughs> Recall going to Sunderland in 2012, was it? I lost 1-0 to that wildly offside goal uh, in the last ah. minute. By oh, G. my God, the state of me anyway, that was just one day. <laughs> I'm happy to erase from history, basically. So, My overlasting memory from um, New Year's efforts was uh, a trip in a rickety bus to Swansea, uh, in South Wales. I think it was New Year's Day. Uh, and the game to make matters even worse was like end to end which we won 3-2 in the end it's Pellegrini's first season but that was not needed on the back of a particularly heavy New Year's Eve um, and the bus just about made it as well so yeah nice bumping times. up and down with a hangover it's just what you want all the way to sunny South Wales yeah uh, Lloyd what about you fan of New Year's Eve uh, not really I know where you're coming from um, <clears throat> I think I went out once when I was really young and was like wow this is a rip off and shit yeah. so uh, yeah best best thing on New Year's is like a 
someone have you around the house or like a pub or something, isn't it? Um, yeah, which is what I'm doing. So yeah, same. One of my one of my friends is uh, having us over in in London, so I'll be doing that. And I agree, football. Well, City playing the day before, as in New Year's Eve, is much better than New Year's Day. And then hopefully watch someone else on New Year's Day. Yeah. I do remember also an appalling nil-nil at Middlesbrough on New Year's Eve. So let's hope for a bit more better entertainment on this one. So, right, Lloyd. It's a good result for City and Middlesbrough with well, our record. Yeah, at the time. Well, it would have been about, I don't know, 2006 or seven or yeah, somewhere around then. And I'll be honest, yeah, because I was driving down to Bristol at the time. I was pretty happy that we didn't lose, <laughs> so I'm taking that <laughs> result. So, yeah, things have changed a bit since then, just a bit. So, just Lloyd, like yeah, Lloyd, I'm going to stick with you because let's uh, we've got a lot to cover, a lot of ground to cover. Let's start with the Leeds review, and you're the only, you're the most the go-to guy to ask, <laughs> considering our small disagreements on the preview show on whether the Leeds game was a must-win game. I assume you're firmly in the camp that says. This was a must-win game. And I'll be honest, after that preview with Ace and Stay, well, not just for that reason, I was feeling really anxious in the afternoon leading up to this, maybe because it's, I don't know, almost 50 days since we've had a Premier League game anyway, and that one didn't go very well. But I was pretty on edge leading up to this one because we really did, I, you know, I don't think it's must-win, but we really did need to win. It would have been, a, it was a big mm. three points, this, that was up for offer. You know the season's got serious when we're discussing must-wins on the Night Free 20 podcast. Yeah, um, <clears throat> for the 15th well, game of the season. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, you know, Steen and Asan came down on my side, didn't they? Um, <laughs> so Yeah, you think the Community Shield is a must-win game, so... Oh, well, you know, it's, it's a good way to start the, start the season. Um, was it... I mean... Eight points is a lot at this stage of the season, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, so I think had we have lost it, we would have been in serious trouble. Albeit we've still got to play Arsenal twice, but um, I think it was bordering on a must-win to be honest. Um, but I think it's just it's the it's the playing last when everybody else has played, yeah. and particularly after a World Cup because you've you've had the break and everyone's kind of got their first game out of the way. It that really does increase the nerves a little bit as a fan. I obviously, didn't look like the players had too many nerves, thank God. Um, Everyone else had won as well. I mean, eight. That's what I mean, yeah. yeah exactly. eight, eight of the top 10 were playing eight of the bottom 10, and yeah. the other two were playing each other. So, yeah, Spurs drew, but the rest just all won. So, yeah, the pressure was on for this big time. Absolutely. Well, points on the board for all the others, wasn't it? So, yeah. Um, exactly. Uh, Joe, what about you? Did you did you come in thinking this was a must-win game? Well, to the point, such a huge gap. We've got that Carabao Cup game as some sort of evidence of where City are at, perhaps, but it is the Carabao Cup and it was a wild game against Liverpool. Did you come into this one feeling confident uh, that we'd do the job? Leeds themselves weren't, you know, have somehow come off the World Cup with a lot of injury problems, but it was never going to be an easy game. A night match, 57 days, I think, since Ellen Road's last seen the game. Night match mm-hmm. Ellen Road, it wasn't the easiest game to come back to, was it? No, it's never a simple fixture, Leeds. I think even though we'll, we'll discuss the game, I think last year we won 4-0, but it still felt like a pretty difficult game from memory. Um 
and it's just one of those grounds where things can go tits up very quickly, can't they? And the crowd get behind them. Um, so I wouldn't have said it out loud at the time, but discreetly, yes, uh, I felt it was a must-win game simply because, as you boys have just touched on, if um, you start dropping points in fixtures like this, as we did v Brentford, it just makes your life so much more difficult with the the backlog of fixtures we've got coming up and the calibre of our position. So, yeah, we had to we had to do the job. Thankfully, that, we did. Yeah, and away away records not great this season, so something to build on now as well was uh, at the back of my mind. I'll be honest, I am the opposite of those who like somehow find fault in every single lineup, Lloyd. <laughs> And there are people who, if it doesn't exactly match what they would have done, uh, then Pep's a fraud. But I'll be honest, when the lineup came out, it did not help with my nerves. What about you? Obviously, Rico Lewis into the side, Premier League debut at Ellen Road. No Walker, no Cancelo, no Bernardo Silva, no Foden either. What was your feeling when the when you first saw that lineup were you actually quite happy with it well i think we probably need to talk about the leaks as well as the lineup because this yeah. is becoming this is becoming a regular fixture at the moment um with city teams i'm sure I'm sure you know the management are not very happy about it um but the way i think the way the teams are leaking is um actually adds more nerves because what happens is it's x y and z are on the bench rather than you know that certain people are playing um, yeah. and so to see Walker Cancelo Foden on the bench from a City fan perspective I'm like I never want to see Phil on the bench I think he should play and Walker was great at the World Cup and whilst Cancelo hadn't been in great form for City and got dropped for Portugal he's still very much a first choice Players, so in my eyes, that's three kind of first choice players. Uh, then, from a fantasy perspective, God, that's another whole other thing. Everyone's heads falling off. You know, most people have got Cancelo. I've got Walker because I thought I was clever, um, and you know, a lot of people have got Foden. So that's all a bit up in the air. But I think once I actually saw the team, saw the eleven, I was more, I was more secure. I think what I was worried about was. It was going to be a back four of four centre halves, so it's going to yeah. be like Stones, Akanji, Laporte, Ake. Like that would have, that would have really got the shits up me. Um, <laughs> thankfully, that wasn't the case. And actually, seeing Lewis, I was more, I was actually more secure, more confident in that, just because I think you need that balance of having someone that can, you know, bring bring the characteristics of a mm. fullback. We don't have many of those, do we? Um, but it looks like we might have found one. Um, so that didn't really concern me and then obviously you know Sam's written a really good piece about it and there's been a lot of chat about it since but the Grealish Mares kind of um, double that always means a particular style of play doesn't it and obviously that played out and I'm sure that'll dominate a lot of this podcast but yeah seeing that 11 more happy than seeing the leaks but I know, I know exactly where you're coming from. There, there were a lot of quote first choice players on the bench, weren't there? There was, but there's also the Everton game, of course, and I just wonder this would be the standalone game. I don't, yeah, it could have been a very different side, but Pep has to deal with these two games at the same time, perhaps. Whereas as a fan, I'm just like, just deal with the Leeds game, just <laughs> do that, just consider it, and then work out what to do after that. But of course, Pep won't feel that way. 
uh, into the game then. And fair to say, pretty quickly, I felt a bit better, <laughs> Joe. Uh, first thing, what is it with Erling Haaland of first-minute chips? Uh, might still be a bit rusty, but I, it felt, even though the... As a half or one, I was getting slightly concerned at lack of chances, but it's fair to say, as soon as this game started, the shape looked fine, the team looked fine, Leeds weren't getting a sniff, City were just dominating that ball. Did it feel, do we feel pretty con- confident? Because, of course, with this City side, the key word is patience, that if they start <clears> well, <throat> even if they're not creating chances, you know that chances are inevitable at some point. I was, yeah, first like seven, eight minutes, I was really impressed with how we started. I thought we were right at it. Uh, I did start to get a bit concerned as it grew in because Liverpool, Liverpool, God's sake, <laughs> Leeds made it very um, compact and tight down the centre. Uh, and I felt we were getting slightly frustrated, but admittedly we were still making chances, which we'll touch on the Grealish, etc. Um But... The first six, seven minutes, we looked like we were going to take them apart with ease. Um, and what always amazes me with Haaland and these chipped efforts is just the pure athletic ability to get himself in that position because he seems like when he's on that last defender before the ball slotted through to him, he always seems like he's going to be touching go if he can get a shot off. But he just he just races past the, um, the last man to the point where he, he feels like he's in acres of space. Or it might just be me that that appears to, but it's just that's what separates him for me. On top of his finishing ability, is is just the the sheer athletic ability of him to to just get away from his man, and and it's almost like an Olympic sprinter playing against a bunch of Sunday league players. <laughs> it's just ridiculous, but yeah. We should have been probably two or three up, I think, in the first 10 minutes. It's weird that it's not actually... I think both goalkeepers in you know, Liverpool game and the Leeds game make those early chances a chance for Haaland because if Melier stays on his line, it's not really a chance. He'd probably have held it up and looked for support, but coming out makes his mind up, gets his hand to it. Uh, and the goalkeeper was all over the place in Liverpool, if I remember the highlights correctly as well. So, yeah, brilliant Ake ball as well, we should say. Uh, more on him later, no doubt. Yeah, so on that on that Haaland chance, I actually thought, apart from, obviously, the ones that he finished, because he had a lot of chances, didn't he? I thought that was probably his best effort, which, yeah. sounds, a, which sounds a bit weird, because I think he should have scored, but I thought he actually made the most of that one as compared with with some of the others where he literally just couldn't get his feet sorted. Yeah, 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 he's fine. You know, he lifted it and the keeper got his hand up, so it wasn't that bad a finish. But yeah, I guess we'll come back to him as well. Uh, well, yeah, there's plenty to say, obviously, because he's a record breaker once more. Lloyd, I'm going to stay with you. What? I I agree, I was getting a bit concerned, but you could see City turning things around. Uh, tactically, what were they doing to... I mean, Leeds themselves just didn't, really threaten at all in that first half. Don't, can't remember them having more than, say, a, a shot going over the bar, perhaps. What was Pep doing that uh, got City control? There's a lot of talk, obviously. As fans, you struggle sometimes to work it out, don't you? Because you've got mm. Rico Lewis moving into midfield. You've got Rodri dropping back. You've got centre-backs who are suddenly wide 
and you're like, I can't, I don't know what's going on here. It's like, it needs other people to, to discuss all this. But ultimately, was it a case of just because Leeds were so narrow, because they were cutting off the ball to Rodri and Rico Lewis when he came inside, that City just went wide and turned this game, this half around in this game? Yeah, I mean, it is complicated, but I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff, actually, from the game. Um, so what was really obvious to me from like the first couple of minutes was, like you say, Leeds were super compact and they were pressing City they were only they were only pressing nine outfield players when Akanji got the ball they were just like chill let him have the ball um, he's not going to hurt us and then as soon as it went to Stones or it went to Ake or obviously it went into midfield then they were straight on them and I, and we obviously played Lewis played very centrally um, in that kind of inverted role and Rodri and we were trying to move the ball to me, it was quite clear from side to side, kind of Grealish back to Mares in that like U shape. But we were trying to get Rodri and Lewis on the ball so we could then get it into um, kind of central areas, into into De Bruyne, into Gundo, into Haaland, and then go from there. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of like Grealish back to Ake, back to Akanji, across the stones, out to Mares, like a lot of that. Um, but that was kind of, yeah, that that was the thing that jumped out at me. And then obviously we did manage to get through a few times, sometimes with that kind of big switch of play, which Grealish brought down a few times. But I did think we went a lot more down the left than we did down the right yeah, in terms definitely. of um, in terms of the attacking. And I saw a lot of people, you know, I had a few people tweeting me after the game saying, I thought Mahrez was shit. Actually, I didn't think Mahrez saw that much of the ball. And I thought when he did, he actually... He had, he had, for, for Mahrez's kind of like quiet on the periphery games, I actually thought he had quite a good version of that. Um, I thought he was quite secure when he did get the ball. He was neat, created a few good openings, didn't lose it, um, and got us into some good positions and kind of linked up with Lewis quite nicely. So obviously a lot of it did come down Grealish's side and resulted in him having three first-half opportunities, you know, two of which he just absolutely has to score. One of which, you know, it's uh, it's a difficult chance, but you know you'd back you'd back yourself to hit the target. Um, but yeah, a lot of it did come down. City's left, didn't it? I, yeah, we had this Barres discussion in the pub absolutely afterwards. So it was like not really done much, and then you look at the stats and it says exactly the opposite of that, uh, in that he created more chances. Six than any other player against Leeds, found a teammate with 100% of his crosses and completed 94% of his passes. And yet, whilst it didn't feel like he had a bad game, you know, when you've some of the games over since like March mm. this year, you thought, oh God, he's, he's you know, stunk the place out a bit. Uh, didn't feel like that, but it didn't feel like he was one of the star performers, and yet the stats look really good for this game. So I, I, I would put it down as it, he was fine, but he's still not. You know, whatever the stats say, he wasn't the star of the game. But I saw that in the first half. It's like, we are going down one side a hell of a lot here. So I'm going to run through the game. I think it's best to discuss this game by individuals now that we've started with Mahrez because Jack Grealish is going to obviously get some discussion time and he's hugely involved in everything that now happens. So great to see Rodri. Yeah, and I'm sure he, he deserves his own section in this podcast as well. Great to see him on the scoreboard again uh, after 
that scored seven goals last season, of course, and I just absolutely love how much he's hated by like Arsenal fans on online. It's just every time he scores and Casemiro bigging him up the night before for doing a performance that Rodri does week in, week out. I just thought it was quite fitting that the next night he goes and scores a goal. So bang on half time. Yeah, the, the greenest chance before and he uses the one where he pokes it over the bar, he just uses his wrong foot. It's weird. Just sticks his right leg out where really it was a left footed shot. Uh, and obviously Rico Lewis mm. should have had a an assist, uh, but Grealish put it over the bar. Thankfully, right on the ed- end of the one minute injury time, we take the lead after uh, Mara's shot is is parried away. And second half, we what? Well, oh, I thought we'd put the game to bed. Uh, two assists for Grealish, two goals for Haaland. They get one back. We could have had loads more goals, of course. Haaland was a bit rusty, but I, in the end, a very comfortable win. And of course, the reason I'm rattling through what actually happened is we have to talk individuals to discuss this game, Joe, and we must inevitably get back to Jack Grealish chat. At half time, I was, you know, obviously I'm not tweeting out my every thoughts because what's the point? Uh, you get arrested <laughs> as well. Well, I don't need to sit there and go, this lineup's terrible, we're going to lose, blah, 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 Grealish is rubbish. Like, who, who are you talking to there? You're just talking to yourself in a way. I, but these are the things that you do say to people, obviously, when you're sat in your, your seat at the ground or you're sat in a pub or wherever, and at half time, you know, whew, Grealish was not impressive really with those chances. And it's a weird one in a way. Then he goes and gets two assists, but I think they may be his first two assists of the season. Definitely in the league. The question is, how do you assess that performance then? My Before you two both speak, I'll, I'll say this. Actually, the flaws he had in this game are different to the flaws in the previous game. And I think, I think the flaws in this game are the ones that might do for him, not what went before. So previously, he's been like, we win games with him playing. He doesn't give the ball away. We have control. But we've always said he's a bit too cautious. This game, he was totally involved. He was all over the place. He had shots blocked. He missed chances. He got two assists. He was everywhere. But, of course, in front of goal, there were some bad chances missed. And he's never been a prolific goal scorer. So we don't actually know if what we're seeing was a you know just a bad night for him in front of goal or he he's prone, when he gets this involved, to missing fairly routine chances so where do you stand on him right now after a performance like that which had a bit of everything in it so for me obviously when when you miss the chances Grealish miss they're always going to take the highlights specifically at half time um, when people were frustrated with how the game had kind of panned out thankfully Rodri put us in the lead otherwise I think the criticism would have been even worse but I will take Grealish in the lineup every day of the week when you go into what is essentially a midweek night fixture, a place like Ellen Road. I mean, I lost count of the times um, I was early the night and, and when he came deep, won the ball in front of us when Leeds were pressing and we were under pressure uh, and he just won us free kicks and totally nullified what they were doing. Now, <clears throat> I get the whole standpoint where people are going to say he's a £100 million player, um, which you, you're not... If, that's a debate on itself. And players only worth what a, a club's willing to. Well, pay it's for not him. his fault either, is it? 
No, exactly. Um, well, that's also but, kind of irrelevant now. He's either good enough to be in our squad or he isn't. He's very much good you. enough. Yeah. Because in fixtures like that, I think if you look at City's record, I don't think I'm a million miles away from saying every game he started this season, certainly away from home, I think we've got a positive result. And you look at some of the games where he hasn't started, I think specifically back to Newcastle, which was a crazy game, which you know went back and forth for 20 minutes of the second half, where we needed a Grealish in there to get a foot on the ball and take the sting out of the crowd. I want him in there. I'm just a bit of a pragmatist. I like it to be safe and steady. Um, and the bottom line is... Yes, there were two opportunities that you can... Well, there's a, there is no argument. He should have scored them both. But if he does score them both, we're not having this conversation and his performance is even better. Um, the fact is he's getting in those positions. Um, it's a bit unfortunate in that he was the outlet on that side for us um, to drive at Leeds. Every time he went down the outside, they seemed to block his cross into the box. And when he came inside and linked up, it just wasn't happening for him or he missed those chances. But his link-up play was absolutely superb. He was an outlet all night, despite when Leeds were putting us under pressure. He won his free kicks. But we just live in that era whereby <clears throat> players are ultimately in attacking positions, especially ones that have been paid £100 million for, are going to be judged on goals and assists. Not necessarily by the match-going fans um, or or even those who, who watch the game with a greater understanding of what Pep's got him in there to do but when you take all that into account and and I summarise what I saw I thought he was brave he took the ball won us uh, free kicks when we were under pressure on multiple occasions and he took a lot of bottle after the chances missed to to come out and essentially win and wrap the game up for us Um, and I don't know if you want to touch on that separately Howard but I thought his performance was up there, I thought it was brilliant as an away performance at a difficult place goes. Okay, a lot. Uh, Lloyd, I think you should you know, get the chance to answer the same thing. Obviously, he's also one of the nicest blokes that's ever been at the club, mm. uh, and I, I just, you know, absolutely loved his celebration for that first assist. I, sus- <laughs> I suspect if he'd scored two in the first half, he wouldn't have passed to Haaland, and I wonder if lack of confidence made him do it. But that doesn't matter in a way. It was the right decision, though. Yeah, I know. We've seen loads of goals like that. So, uh, or we've seen lots of other big teams score goals like that. It was a fine, perfectly fine decision, but I'm just wondering if lack of confidence to shoot himself made the decision for him. That's I'm just idly speculating there. Another assist, of course, which was a lovely move. I, th- I think all views of him, I kind of agree with, which makes me even more conflicted. I don't care anymore whether he was worth 100 million. Almost certainly not. With hindsight, probably a strange purchase at the time as well, because I still think we thought Bernardo Silva was going, and even though he's not an identical player in style, I still think he came in because of that, because we expected an exit. Uh, And still, Bernardo Silva is here. I still think, ultimately, probably might not fit in this side and how we play, unless he goes as a ball carrier in the middle, which Pep probably doesn't trust him in the same way he doesn't trust Phil Foden there yet. Ultimately, he's not clinical in front of goal either. I also see, you know, Aysan made a perfectly valid point. All the good things he, he does, well, we have loads of players who can do that sort of stuff. However, I still think Jack Grealish does it a bit better, the control and the keeping the ball and 
yeah, well, the results mm. the results follow when he plays. Although, of course, it's a team game and it ain't that simple. And yet, <laughs> and yet, you know, they're bad misses. And I don't think they're that far out of character of him because he's never been prolific goal scorer anyway. So where did he fit? How good was this performance? You could go around in circles, couldn't you, for, for hours, to be honest. Yeah, you've made a, you made a lot of good points there. Um, I, I wasn't supposed to speak either, so I apologise. No, no, no. I think it adds it adds to the discussion. Um, I think this is one of the most interesting performances to talk about, kind of of the season from an individual perspective. I think I think there's so much nuance to get into here. I think it's it's really not black and white. Um, and actually, having reflected on the game, and I, I watched it back because. To be fair, that is one of the great things about it being on Amazon. You can kind of watch the game back in full and it's really easy to do so rather than, you know, trying to find a dodgy website um, to, 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 to watch a full replay. I actually ended up, when I was watching it back, and obviously you've got the benefit of knowing that we end up winning, being more impressed with Grealish's overall performance. And I think actually because of the glaring misses, he did stuff in the first half that, was really, really impressive. Um, so to start with the point that you ended with, which is the one that Asan made that, you know, yeah, okay, the stuff that he does is good, but we have loads of other players that do it. And I don't think it's that, it's that kind of, it doesn't move the needle. I do disagree with that a little bit because for me, he does things and they're quite unsexy things. So that's why I think it's, it's less easy to kind of acknowledge. He does stuff that I think he does a lot better than anyone else in the team. And for me, that's taking the sting out of the game. Um, he draws, he's the most fouled player in the league by a mile. Um, <laughs> and why and does that stats, happen? It's just, it, I think it's the way that he dribbles and receives the ball. He kind of, he, he invites challenges, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He accelerates he and decelerates. Very, very well. Yeah, but exactly. He, he kind of accelerates and decelerates in a very strange way where he receives it, kind of almost shows the ball to the defender, then uses his body to kind of get in the way and, and then looks to kind of move off. But he's already placed himself between the defender and the ball and inevitably, and also because he's Grealish, like defenders just like kicking him anyway uh, because he's got a, he's got a bit about him and you know he sometimes gives a bit back does it, although he, must, he didn't there must be a lot of sledging he does join a game because he's I, always well, always talking to opposition players isn't he? and opposition fans seem to kind of get 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 on him don't they we ah, go yeah. we go we go around the league a lot and there's a lot of booing and kind of jeering of Jack Grealish which Again, given his personality and his popularity, like at yeah. the Euros, is quite strange. But well, that's the stupidity of football fans that he was getting booed after being fouled twice. So exactly. <laughs> um, <laughs> so how, how dare you get fouled? Yeah. So I think that's that. So yeah, what I would say is, in terms of carrying the ball, kind of progressing it through the thirds, because it's slightly different to dribbling. Because he's not—he is a dribbler, but it's not the same as like when Foden goes off on a dribble or Sterling used to kind of beat a few players. Um, I think he's exceptional at that. He's in, he's exceptional at kind of drawing fouls and taking the sting out of the game. I don't think we've got anyone else that can do that. The problem is they're quite unsexy, not that important, don't really move the needle things. Um, now, to put that point to the side, I think in the first half, there were still things that he did that I think were really, really impressive. So, for example, 
I think when he does get the opportunity to get a bit of space and come inside, he provides that excellent ball to Mares, where it's kind of like chipped through to the front post and yeah. Mares just completely misses it. And really probably should have done better with that. Um, and that was one of the only times in the first half where he kind of moved the, the ball around to kind of create that for him. Um, and then also, because, you know, he's done a few interviews where he's spoken saying, I need to get on the end of crosses more. I need to get in, uh, in at the back post. I need to get into these positions. Um, and obviously, when he got the, when he received the ball, a lot of the times he had literally three defenders on him and his only option was to get Kanji. So there's a lot to unload. I, I did leave the kind of at half time thinking I was really frustrated he not scored one of these but I actually thought to come out and play like he did second half takes a lot of bollocks and for both goals actually both of those passes were the right move at the time um, and I think it could have been easy almost to go the opposite of what you said Howard which is he feels like he needs a goal and he hasn't scored in the first half so he could have shot in both those he affected the game massively in the second half. He did it in the way that we're looking for him to do it. What I would say to round everything off, though, is I thought Pep's interview after the game was very interesting. Oh, he does stuff that isn't just goals and assists. We didn't just buy him for goals and assists. But increasingly, I've noticed when Pep has spoken about Grealish since that comment, he is starting to acknowledge that he needs to score goals. That's the next step for Grealish. Uh, right, we've got a lot to deal with, so we best crack on. I'm sure there'll be plenty more Grealish chat uh, this season. Let's talk about something that's less conflicted about Joe. I think Lewis should have a say about this as well, <laughs> even if time is off the essence. Rico Lewis, ultimately, ultimately Pep knows what he's doing. I'll start there. <laughs> he puts him in the side for a raucous game at Ellen Road, league debut. But of course, I've got fears. Well, Kyle Walker's fit is like, what are you doing? I think Regal has been amazing, but you know this is a bit too early for me in a game we must win, of course. Pep's seen a lot more of him than I am. Uh, training him every day. There's already talks about his intelligence. He's, he's moving into midfield. He's already doing the tactical stuff <laughs> that Pep demands. Sensational stuff, in a way. And left field, in a way. He's been in the good... Phil Foden, I knew, was coming. <laughs> you know... Uh, Cole Palmer, you know, a Leicester extent, I knew was making his way towards the first team. Rico Lewis was kind of a group of players who could break through, but wasn't talked about like Foden was, you know, because generational player. What a joy to see a player just out of nowhere come in. But the levels of his performance are just astonishing, aren't they? He's been amazing. It feels like um, <clears throat> someone who's been a part of the system and the squad going yeah. back three or four years when you watch him someone who's just totally um, indoctrinated if if that's the right word with, with the philosophy of our football club uh, and I think that's testament to, to now that we're six, seven years into into the Pep journey it's testament to how much um, his influence is probably trickling down to every level uh, that is coached at the club and that a player can be promoted uh, into the first team sphere, if you will, and then get a chance and then perform so effort effortlessly. And obviously I understand that that's not going to be the case across the board, but I think when you look at how him and, and Cole Palmer and others are doing when they're given this opportunity, you're starting to really see the academy bear fruit. Um, what I will say, I was astounded to, um, firstly versus Liverpool when he came in. 
um, <clears throat> and the magnitude and, and the to quote uh, Pep when talking about John Stones big balls because when he went one on one with Salah uh, most players are done at that point, aren't they? In in the Carabao Cup game, and he just absolutely flattened him. Um, <clears throat> and there were a few instances the other night where I don't want him to do him a disservice, but he strikes me as one of those quite um, stuffy players, if that makes any sense. If it makes any sense to you, where he goes into situations that are probably sixty forty in the other um, players' favour, and could be quite dangerous if the player comes out with it, but he seems to somehow come out with the ball. Uh, I think there was one in the in the first half where it was that exact scenario and he ended up tackling and putting it through to De Bruyne, yeah, yeah. who was then, uh, you, do you remember? So it, it's just things like that and he's done it a few times now. Um, but obviously the, the thing that struck me was he was doing the classic Pep um, inverted fullback role literally from the you know the first whistle um dropping into midfield pinging balls around um offering himself as an outlet when when um, players were under pressure and the press which you know takes again a lot of courage for a young player to come in and do um because you're probably in the back of your mind thinking do these experienced players trust me to give me the ball but clearly they do and again that's testament to his ability um and i've always been an advocate in saying when we do get to latter stages of the biggest competitions, whether in the Prem or the Champions League, and I've took some stick for saying it, but I would much rather see a young lad go in who's a natural in that area than do what we did last year and play a Fernandinho or play a Kanji there when Trossard absolutely destroyed him a few weeks back for Brighton. Um, who, yes, they'll make mistakes, but they're much more comfortable in that position. Well, I see on more. Yeah, and because they brought through, they could do the pep instructions so much easier, as you said. So, yeah, and I think it's probably a case whereby if Pep didn't trust him, he probably would have thrown Walker in. And despite the fact Walker's played in the World Cup, I think it's fairly obvious he's had a bad injury and he's probably maybe seventy-five, eighty percent fit. Uh, so he may well have risked him historically, but I think the fact that um, Rico Lewis did so well against Liverpool, he thought, no, we'll give him that bit extra time and. Well, you know, Cal, does Cal, he get back in now? But yeah, no, he was he was absolutely brilliant. Cal Fantastic. Was, yeah, fully occupied wrestling with the Amazon bench cam in a way, so Yeah, his new role. <laughs> he had his own work to do. Uh yeah. yeah. Not just this week, but long term, Lloyd, him breaking through is a huge boon as well to future transfer policy. Having someone like that come in, because you say Kyle Walker might have struggled to do two games in these three days, let alone looking long term what Rico Lewis can do for us concentrating on a left back and elsewhere and having someone break through like this is a huge bonus for this already brilliant squad. Yeah, so definitely a bit of a game changer, um, Lewis's emergence. It's kind of come a little from nowhere um, in that, you know, I don't think he was kind of. <sighs> He wasn't thrown around in the same sense as Palmer or like Foden before him, um, and but he's just he's he's just come in and kind of like a duck to water really. Um, but yeah, like I think we discussed on a lot of pods over the summer. I probably had come around to thinking we probably needed a right back rather than a left back yeah. uh, um, because I kind of saw Cancelo now as a le- as a left back primarily in this team with with where Walker's at in his career. And so I thought we needed someone to kind of probably come up the rear with um, with Walker. Whereas I think genuinely, and I know we're only talking about 
probably five first team performances. I think we're probably at the stage where I don't think we need a new right back now. I think Rico Lewis has shown enough to to put those plans on hold. Obviously things can change and it's obviously absolutely a left back that we need, which is the case. <laughs> you think? <laughs> Basically, yeah, oh God. Um, I think we've needed one since basically 2018 really haven't we since everything went as it did with the bloke we bought in 2017 who I won't mention um so yeah you can't be named exactly but no I mean look what he's done and to come in and play like that in a in a game like that away at Ellen Road is phenomenally impressive and Mm. you look at Pep's record of blooding youngsters and you know it is definitely something that if you want to be a Pep hater, it's a it's a valid criticism of Pep. I think that he has probably been a bit slower to bring youngsters through versus some of his compatriots. Particularly, you know, I think it's something that Klopp has been excellent at, um, and that is beginning to change, and that's great. But it, this was a real outlier for Pep to play a player like that when you had your senior options fit and available in a Premier League game. Out and away ground. I just think that shows that's such an enormous vote of confidence for, for Pep to do that. Indeed, amazing. We could talk for a, a long time about him, but the performance matched his, you know, Pep's faith in him. And as you say, to put him in for a game like this just shows not just what we see, but what Pep must be seeing behind the scenes. It must be like his intelligence as well, his professionalism, him taking on board what's asked of him. Clearly, Pepe's just blown away by him, and to put him in for this game just proves that. So, yeah, bodes well for the future. Uh, moving on, record breaker, Erling Haaland, who bizarrely looked rusty. Dare I say that, Joe? Uh, looked rusty with his two goals, 20 goals in the league, beating in 14 games, beating. I said Calvin Phillips then, beating (laughs) whoever he is. Uh, Kevin Phillips did it in 21 games, previous record holder. He's done it in 14. He could have had five goals though, Mm. but still, since the break, three goals in a couple of matches. I mean, it's just like, let's take it for granted now, don't we? Yeah, it bodes well though, doesn't it? That if a lad who's a bit rusty still gets a brace and probably should have had five, um, and he's he's acknowledging that himself in the post match interview. Uh, it's a bit of a tantalising prospect, isn't it, for us uh, City fans? So, yeah, um, I've got no major concerns there. I think he's um, he's obviously kept himself in great nick. It's given him an opportunity to kind of get over that lingering foot injury, as Pep pointed out uh, before the game. Um, and the key thing for us is obviously he scored two goals. You know, there's there's no issue there uh, in terms of putting the ball on the back of their net when needed, um, and the chances he missed. To be fair, the keeper deserves some credit as well. So let's get um, let's carry on, and hopefully he can get those five for Everton <laughs> this weekend. Yeah, Wouldn't put it past him. <laughs> well, well, we'll do a yeah a tea preview a bit later. Uh, he could be rested now, but surely not. Uh, Lloyd, last player individual I might want to mention. I was in the pub, I was like, oh, I'd just give Man of the Match to Ake all the time, to be honest, because he's just mm. so consistently good. Rodri is the only player, to, another player we kind of take for granted now. 
Rodri is the only player to win possession 15 plus times in multiple Premier League games this season. 15 against Leeds, and he did it 17 against Aston Villa. 89% pass accuracy. Uh, 12 final third entries, five duels won, four fouls, four tackles, three chances created, a goal, of course. He's just, with the Kev- uh, Kevin Phillips, <laughs> Calvin Phillips, <laughs> uh, injury issues and, of course, fitness issues, the fact he's you know just performing at this level week in, week out just becomes more important. In a way, could, could it be said he is our most important player? Probably after De Bruyne, I would right. say. Yeah. Um, and maybe alongside Haaland, probably. Um, but yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from. I think the most impressive thing about about Rodri now is that he's getting... He's he's at that kind of De Bruyne level of of consistency where we're, we just take for granted how good he is from mm. game to game. Um you know, for example, I thought De Bruyne was absolutely ridiculous in this game, even though he didn't kind of get any goals or assists or there wasn't like a real standout moment, but there were just so many bits of quality that flick around the corner for when Gorilla should have scored. It's amazing. Uh, it's just a joke. And, you know, I think the pass into Haaland for the third goal, which then goes to Grealish and then back to Haaland, just such a good ball, but, you know... The way he's carrying it from midfield, amazing. But to yeah, to get back to Rodri, I mean, it's just positioning is just absolutely amazing. He just seems to always, when the ball breaks or when we lose the ball, he's just there and kind of sweeps it up in a way that he never used to in the first kind of nine months because he was obviously sussing out the pace of the Prem and the kind of physicality and, and where to be. And yeah, I, I think we're, we're, we're very blessed and he is pushing towards Kev, like I say, in that we we almost just expect that you get an 8 out of 10 from Rodri every week now and, and that's not normal and I think that should be acknowledged. Mm. I think, you know, he's approaching Casemiro levels here. <laughs> well, hey. Steady on, mate. steady on. Very good. Sorry. He's got steady some work mate. to do yet before he gets to those levels. But yeah, I mean, we do take place for granted, don't we? We've not even mentioned John Stones, but he was... Brilliant passing as his yeah, usual fantastic. self. So wonderful by every other fan base, is he not? So as the leading member of the John Stone Society, as I point out on every podcast, I will do that now. John Stones, you are a credit to our football club. Long may you be here for many more Christmases. <laughs> what a man. Well said. Uh, then the match as a whole then, Joe, I'll stay with you. Full-time whistle goes, 3-1 win for City. How pleased were you with that as an all-round team performance, considering what was at stake? Uh, yeah, absolutely buzzing. I think um, to get the real stuff back underway, you need to start with a win. Um, the perfectionist in me was a bit frustrated that we conceded from a set-piece. Um, I think there's always room for improvement. Um, but in terms of getting the job done, I thought we, we nullified Leeds really well. It was almost like they had nothing in the attack whatsoever. I think we, we mopped up everything they did. We completely nullified their press and um, essentially killed them, didn't we, in a 10, 15 minute spurt? Um, and Leeds were lucky, if we're honest, it wasn't five or six. So you can't ask for much better than that on a on a boxing day, well, slash 28th of December fixture away from home. So yeah, very happy. Could easily have scored six at Ellen Road. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I know they had players out as well, but that was kind of an experimental side for us as well, in a way. And a lot of players not featuring could put a whole new other team out and 
compete in that game. So overall, got to be happy with that performance. Uh, Lloyd has gone. Uh, we've had a few technical problems today and he does have to get off anyway. Uh, so he wasn't available for the preview. So uh, the Everton match. So just the two of us now, Joe. Uh, Joe, then, I know you're John Stone's Appreciation Society, but who was your man of the match? Was it someone else? John Stone's every game, isn't it? Um, no, <laughs> no, it's Nathan um, Ake every game, remember? Let's not fall out. Um, no, uh, it's a tough one, really, because I think there's a lot of solid performances. Um, I probably edge towards, I'd say Rodri, mm. I think. I think he was just steady throughout, wasn't he? Um, like you say, he's kind of, um, a lot of the things we take for granted, he's kind of just merged into his game now. Uh, as Lloyd was pointing out, he, he, whilst he was in that adaption period, there's probably a physical side to his game that we weren't sure on at the time if he could cope. But boy, he's put all that to bed, hasn't he? Uh, it's just a Rolls Royce. So another player we're very lucky to have. Uh, before we move on, uh, looking forward, I hate to do this, Stuart Atwell. <laughs> Bizarre mm. performance for me. Did you see my tweet from after the match? No, I didn't. I was on the way home, so I didn't get a lot of the post-match. First of all, uh, didn't seem to want to give a yellow card for the first hour of the match, then seemed to want to give one for every single foul that was occurred in the match. was just weird. But I'm sure that 2-1 up... uh, 3-1 up, sorry. Just before they almost make it 3-2, which would have been horrifically nervous last 10 minutes yeah, uh, having yeah. relaxed at 3-0 thought right that's job done if it had been 3-2 on 80 minutes I, I'm not sure I could have coped with that 10 minutes uh, especially how control we've been for most of the match you know their goal I've seen Edison blamed a bit it was their first shot on target you can't complain with that really uh, and surely you should look at the defending more than the goalkeeping for that one it's mm. one of those not a mistake by Edison but you hope he'd make the odd one here and there. You know, a great save to save ones like that. But he's probably rusty himself, having not played much football. So, True. But at 3-1, Cancelo nicks it past a Leeds player in midfield. And I'm absolutely sure... There's no, apparently, the full match is on... Am- Lloyd said the full match is on Amazon, so I'm going to have to check this again now. <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and check this. Because I'm sure I've dreamt this happen, but loads have backed it up on Twitter... He nicks it past the midfielder and we would guarantee that him or someone else would have been through on goal then. It was like three on two. And that well blew and gave a free kick for them. And no one yeah. seemed to complain either. Did you see that at the time? Yeah, now you mention it, I do remember it, yeah. Yeah, he did. He did some bizarre things. I think there was one as well in the build-up to this moment where Akanji just got completely taken out um, on our left-hand side and he was down for an extended period of time Yeah, uh, and then there was almost like an identical tackle on a Leeds player 30 seconds later and he gave a free kick right on the edge of the box I think that was at 3-1 uh, that's the one that stands out in my mind like, it looked a definite foul from where I was um, but yeah just some some really odd decisions the Barkley says well and truly back isn't it well imagine <laughs> if they had made it 3-2 and then you know we'd that- thrown two points away after that there was That's a free a kick came in that Gundogan, yeah. I think, was elbowed in the face. So, you know, accidentally, nothing in it whatsoever. But I think he did get contact to the head. 
he stopped playing, but then they get to take the free kick again. Uh, I'm sure the <laughs> kick had been taken when the contact was made. So, so much made little sense in that he let the game flow, and I kind of like that. In the, if that's the new directive, not giving yellow cards for every foul here and there, if that's consistent across the board, I'm all for that in the future. You're all for it. But then there's one of those referees that as the game goes on, the yellow cards start coming out all the time. It's like, why are you applying different rules now in the last 30 minutes of the match to what yeah, you did in the first hour? It wasn't totting like up. It was just a different application. It was weird. So. It's like subconsciously they think, oh, shit, I'm going to get panned by... You know, like they have a review panel, don't they, after every game? Yeah. Because um, I've not given enough yellows or I've not <laughs> done this in the first half. I've, I've got things wrong, so I'm going to I'm gonna make up for it now. But it just makes them look even more incompetent than if they'd have just carried on on the same vein. Um, but maybe it's just a subconscious thing. I don't know. I don't know. Refereeing in, in general in this country and, and across the game, actually, I will say now after the World Cup, barring that, that ref in the final, I thought was excellent. Um, it just seems to be in a really poor state, in my opinion. Chris may disagree if he listens, but yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think it's I getting do. worse across the game? or? Uh I've I've always been. It's not just on the referees. It's like laws and what they're guided by and what they're told to do. So no, it's not just a dump on the referees. Obviously, we all think some are better than others. There's some that I just don't see are very good games. Don't seem to have control mm. or erratic. I think half the problems the guidance. Yeah, the VAR to clear, the clear and obvious thing. I just don't like. Uh, it's not all about the referees. I just I just hate the way they're so easily conned by. You know, initiating contact type fouls and stuff like it's little things like that that wind me up more than anything. Here's and one for you then. Do you, yeah. do you think the um, sorry to hijack this will be my last point. Do you think the athletic ability of the players is outgrowing the refereeing ability of some referees? Do you think that's mm. potentially a valid debate to have because maybe not for a future the, podcast because they're not getting into the right positions perhaps I don't know well, I just think they, it's, it's not it. slowing down is it like you've seen players now who are like 33, 34, 35 being the main men at the World Cup whereas yeah. even 10, 15 years ago that were, you were done weren't you at that yeah. age yeah but I mean referees have to go through rigorous fitness tests pre-season yeah and if their eyesight's good they don't have to be right on it to see you know contact or They've got VAR to back them up for serious stuff. You know, I'm not... Obviously, I just think, as always, some referees, I view them as better than others, and Stuart Atwell just isn't one of my favourites. No. But he just wasn't consistent throughout the game. Either let everything go or let nothing go. Or, be, or you know, <laughs> just be consistent. And some of the decision-making was just weird for me, absolutely weird. And you get an occasional decision... It was the West Ham, the Arsenal non-penalty at the end of the first half. Do you see that? Where it was headed um, away by, I can't remember who it was by, and he gave a penalty. And of course, he went to the monitor and saw that he headed it. To be honest, if you saw that at the time as handball, you shouldn't be on that pitch at all. Because hmm. it's seriously wrong with you when you've watched. And if you didn't see it, then you've guessed and given a penalty, which in a way even is worse. even worse. That is yeah. even worse. But it's a human trait, isn't it? I mean, I mean, I understand they're reffing at the highest level, but that's why I just made the point I did about the yellow cards in that even though it's almost like 
a subconscious fear takes over like oh i've made a mistake i'm going to try and rectify it and and you do it in the moment and you think oh shit yeah. i shouldn't have done that yeah do you know what i mean because we yeah, all do it don't we it's fair they've all got one moment in like that and var yeah you know, in the old days that would have been just a, a penalty would have still been given and you know if Arsenal had gone on to win that game west ham fans would go well that turned the game so var definitely has its uses and it was shown there you know for the stick we give it so right anyway time has run out definitely on that uh, review uh, that is the end of part one now, part two, I caught up last night with uh, Everton fan Matt Jones ahead of this weekend's game. This is what he had to say about uh, Everton, the club, their form, and of course the game that's coming up on New Year's Eve. I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Jones from the Blue Room podcast, the most listened to Everton podcast. Uh, good morning, Matt. Thanks for taking the time out to chat to us today. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, really well, mate. Thanks very much for, for asking me on. And I'm obviously so excited to see this Everton team go on New Year's Eve to, 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 to cap what's been um, obviously such a fantastic year for Everton. But but no, aside from footy, all good, mate, in all seriousness. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Did you uh, enjoy Christmas and the World Cup before it? So. Yeah, yeah. I think the World Cup was a little bit more engrossed in it than, than maybe I anticipated. Obviously, it was just sort of trying to immerse myself in football, the wasn't all ever lads in, in royal blue and white um, by by the end of it um, yeah but and yeah Christmas was great it's, it's been it's been so nice even even the match on Boxing Day lovely to see everybody um, obviously the people you sit by at the game and, and catching up with everyone although I think what maybe ruined it for me today was seeing a video of Everton trying to counter attack from that game and the referee making up ten yards on Dwight McNeil as Everton try and charge forward so <laughs> I think I think that would. That was the Nadir this morning, uh, but otherwise it's been sound, yeah. I've seen the clip. <laughs> I <need> to say, <laughs> uh, thought he was going to put a tackle in on him at one point. So. It's not. It's not good. It's not good, is it? It's, it's, it's a very, it's a very apt summary. I think of where where Everton are at the moment, which I'm sure we'll uh, we'll get into. Well, yeah, I was going to divert you with some uh, Christmas chat before we got into Everton, but it, it seems uh, there's no putting it off. Uh, it's an eternally recurring theme, in a way, uh, certainly in recent times. It's fair to say Everton, the team, uh, are not in a good place right now. No, absolutely not. Three wins all season. It's 17th, I think they are on the table now, with a point off the, the bottom of the league. So, yeah, everybody all of a sudden... Is starting to get the fear back that they had last year, and you know, I'm sure a lot of long-time City listeners will, will know this from when you know you guys are in a similar position where it's you know it's, it becomes all-consuming. There were times at the end of last season where people were speaking to you like you had a family member that was like really ill, and it did sort of come up to you and be like, "Oh, what about Everton?" And you just sort of shrug your shoulders like like you would do in that situation and go, "Well, yeah, what are you going to do?" And it, I think people sort of hoped that this season would be. A bit different that maybe the team with some smarter recruitments would potentially be mid-table and you wouldn't have to have those sleepless nights again come the end of the campaign. But you know, after a, a pretty decent start to the campaign, I'll say I wouldn't say it was it was fantastic or good by any means, but a, a solid start to the season. It's it's just all regressed and unraveled in the recent weeks before the World Cup and what happened against Wolves on Boxing Day certainly didn't help matters. So so yeah, I think everybody's stocking up on the blue flares again for for bus welcomes and all that again, um, which which might be needed to pull this team over the line. But whether the fans can do that again, whether the players can go to that well again, I don't know. 
did you actually go into the season, or perhaps it's easy to uh, assess the situation once the transfer window shut, you know, a couple of weeks later? Did you go in thinking it was going to be a better season? Or did you actually think, think this could be more the same this season and we're just caught in this trap of trying to stay in the division? I think at any summer, the recruitment, you make you try and make sense of it and put a positive spin on yeah. it, don't you? In regards to, you know, I, I remember that summer when we signed um, Gilvy Sigurds and Davy Class and Wayne Rooney and Nikola Vlasic. We signed four number 10s. And I, was, I remember being on podcast then trying to talk up why it was a great idea to sign four lads who all wanted to play in the same position because <laughs> of this and because of this and you make all these, these caveats. And I think we did the same in, in the summer um, with, with a lot of these players. But I think at the back of everyone's mind, there was this this feeling that you lost not only a really good player in Richarlison, but, but a talisman for the fans as somebody that who you know formed that connection with in a time in Everton's history when those sorts of figures have been really rare. So they, they lost him, they were under financial pressure to sell him, and they didn't really go out and get a direct replacement, which was always was going to be difficult. But then the other factor as well is that you had Dominic Carver Lewin, who a couple of years ago was an excellent centre-forward and a reliable centre-forward who can mm. score goals, bring other people into the game, do, do do a bit of everything, really. But the last 18 months, he's proven time and time again that fitness-wise, he can't be relied upon. And Everton knew that Richardson was going. They knew that Dominic Carver-Loon couldn't be relied on. And yet, it took them till the end of August to sign someone in Neil Mope who doesn't really fit what they're trying to do anyway. So I think what Everton sort of did was... In effect, they sort of wrote off the first four games of the season, which you look at back at now and you say, Chelsea at home, obviously going to be a tricky game, but Villa away, Forest at home, and then they had Leeds and Brentford away. And they didn't win any of those games. And you sort of think, well, if you had the centre forward in position for one of those games or two of those games, thinking back to those matches, they probably would have got three points. Mm. So in effect, they sacrificed the first five games of the campaign because they couldn't get a centre-forward in, despite knowing the fact they would have needed a centre-forward in at the end of last season when it was obvious Richarlison was leaving. So, yeah, I think there have been aspects of the team that have been recru- improved by the recruitment. I think Conor Cody and James Tarkovsky have been decent and dependable and yeah. have, bring, have obviously got good qualities they bring to to any side. Uh, the midfield, we all thought was going to be fantastic, but it's looking increasingly like a bit of a mess as the weeks go on. And at the top end of the pitch, I mean... The less said, the, the better. To be honest, it's 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 absolutely hopeless. And I think I think it's it's probably fair to say Everton as, as a collective have got the worst attacking options in, in the Premier League at the moment, and, and that's where they really need to improve. But there are issues elsewhere as well. It's weird just looking up things that happened before the World Cup. I have no idea for the Leeds previews. It's like mm. Leeds lost four three to Spurs before the World Cup. I was like. Did that actually happen? Uh, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, I looked up uh, Everton results, of course. You, know, you had a, a mini good one in, I think, September time. But those two trips to Bournemouth, uh, don't know, was it October or was it in November? November. Yeah, so they were they the last two games before the World Cup, yeah. Yeah, well, they signed, um, oh, that late. So basically, for those that don't know, you went in the uh, Carabao Cup, you lost 4-1 there. Don't know what side you put out, maybe, yeah. Lampard was happy to go out the cup or whatnot. Then you go there in the league and lose three 0 Was that where the alarm bells really started ringing for you for this season? Yes. Yeah, so before those two games, they played Leicester at home, and this was Leicester who were really struggling then at that point, and they they got outplayed that that game. And it's it's one of them when you come out the ground and you sort of okay in mid table, you go well, you know they're a good side, they've got good players. It's probably going to be one of them, but then. 
to back it up with the two performances you mentioned, and in the League Cup, he played a, a second string eleven, but so did they. Um, so to lose four one in that sense was still pretty bad. And then obviously going into the the following game at the weekend, um, yeah, that, that that place has always been a house of horrors for Everton anyway. I don't, they haven't won there in the Premier League since Bournemouth came back to to the Premier League, and they always seem to either get absolutely levered or concede a very late goal and lose or, or draw and. It just it just felt inevitable that it was all sorts of going to come crashing down there, and I, I, what what felt just as significant as the performances um, in both of those games, which were absolutely rotten, was what happened at the end of that second game, where some of the players came over, the fans sort of told them off for I think Alex Awobi threw his shirt into the crowd, someone threw it back onto the pitch, um, which is probably quite harsh on, on Alex. He's probably been our best player this season, in fairness, but. I mean, he wants to share from a player when he's been beat 3 by Bournemouth, in, in fairness. But it, it just it just felt like it was all building up. And with that in mind, the break probably came at the perfect time for Frank Lampard. And everybody was hoping that by getting away from each other for a few weeks, the, the, the atmosphere could be improved, the team could be re-energised and be, be come out of Goodison against the worst team in the league on Boxing Day and, and be a little bit better. But that didn't transpire. And the pressure is back on the players again. The pressure is back on the manager again. And, and everybody's almost slotted back into that, that gloomy feeling that we all had before the break. That Wobie story reminds me of the old wives' tale of City losing at home to Bury and uh, a fan ripped up his season ticket because you know, it wasn't digital in those days, ripped it up <laughs> and threw it on the pitch and the club actually posted it back to him. <laughs> which, I'm, which I'm sure didn't really happen, like bits of a season ticket, but yeah. Yeah, some go ripping a season ticket off, because they were, they were massive books, weren't they, at one point? Yeah, yeah. Go, yeah. To, to, to get completely ripped, but... You'd get to the turnstile, it'd be a random number. Uh, you have to uh, take out the number for that, yeah. yeah. We've had all that as well. I yeah. think someone ran on the pitch and, and threw the shirt at Alex and Yarko. I don't know if anyone remembers him. Um, back in the day at Arsenal, and he, he demanded to be subbed off. We, we, yeah. I think Everton and City have been kindred spirits before this respect in regards to, 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 to that kind of thing, haven't they? Yeah, well, at least you can't lose at home to Bury at the moment. Give it a few years. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you never know. As they rise up, and yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, so how bad was the Wolves match then? Uh, Steve Tudor yeah, uh, went to that because he wanted some Boxing Day action after our game was put back two days which was pretty annoying to be honest because Boxing Day is yeah one of those most enjoyable days for football fans is it not he actually left before a minute before the winning goal went in but I don't think he was impressed with either side of the day and I know from your podcast you uh, I don't know who it was that said it was like two blind boxers in a way fighting and then one just happening to to land a knockout punch at the end was it that poor a game yeah, that, that that was my analogy. Unfortunately, was, yes. I'd probably rephrase that in hindsight and say it's probably it was more like two blind and drunk boxers trying to have a fight, and uh, <laughs> one of them eventually landed a knockout blow at the end because it was that bad. And listen, I, I, you know, their fans, I'm sure, will, will be delighted with that. You know, new manager, yeah. first Premier League game, last minute winner. You know, it doesn't really get better in terms of starts, but I think if you look at the game purely objectively, it was two pretty awful teams and a draw was probably about right in the end you know Everton had a couple of big chances in the first half um, Neil Mope going back to that one I said about McNeil trying to keep up with the referee it was you know he was, he was through on goal and somehow managed to to take a touch inside his own half that ended up back at the goalkeeper um, which was insane Andy Gordon had a, a good chance but in the second half Everton offered absolutely nothing and I think Wolves 
brought on Traore, they brought on Mateus, Nunes, and they brought on Guedes, and that just sort of gave them a little bit of a, a push towards the end, and they were able to they were able to get that winning goal. But yeah, it, it looked like two teams who were going to ultimately be right down there. But I think you, I think what's very different about Wolves and Everton is that you, you look at Wolves and there are plays in that side that give them a route to goal. You know, Ruben Neves from from set pieces, Traore coming off the bench for the last twenty minutes and causing havoc. You know, someone like Jimenez, if he does eventually get get fit again, Nunes is not really settled yet, has he? But he's, he's by all accounts a good player. I think I think your manager was, was saying how great he was yeah. at one point last season. Whereas Everton haven't got those options. You know, they're just so blunt and so devoid of ideas and attack that it's hard to see a route to goal. It's hard to to, to imagine and construct in your head what an Everton goal looks like at all at the moment so I think, I think they'll probably eventually be fine and pull away from it whereas Everton unless things change pretty significantly and some good players are brought in in January feels like we're going to be right down there again so I guess the prediction is the end the endless cycle is that Lampard goes and the new manager comes in and you just about stay up again rinse and repeat what is the situation with Frank Lampard are the fans behind him and more to the point, are the board behind him? With the, you know, what's the, is he safe at Everton, or does he have the support of the fans? I think it's it's getting close to. I wouldn't say he's on the brink, but he's on the brink of being on the brink. If if that makes sense, mm. you know, if Everton get levered on Saturday, which which they will at, at the Etihad Stadium, and then the game after that we've got is Tuesday, Brighton, night, at home, yeah. home to Brighton, and I, I, I just look at that. It's, it's a team that a lot of people will be thinking we, we could beat and, and should beat based on historical contact, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, which is obviously nonsense because they're a much better side than Everton. But I just look at that game Tuesday night after Christmas. Everyone's back in work. The team are playing bad. You know that that if that goes wrong, that has the potential to be very, very toxic. I think, and I just wonder if that might be the one where it, it does finally turn. But I think Lampard's had a, a lot of good grace. Um, a, a lot of it is to do with the way in which he's ingratiated himself with the football club and tried to, you know, be part of it and try and understand the culture of it, which I, I know is, is not really what football manager is about. But it, it has certainly helped him. I think he's been helped a lot by the fact that his predecessor was Rafael Benitez as well. And people were obviously very willing to give him a chance after that. And Benitez was, you know, probably even a bit worse than, than Lampard, really. Um, and of course, the way in which he, he somehow managed to, to get the team up for those last few games and, and drag them over the line and keep yeah. them in the Premier League, he, he engendered a lot of good faith from people. Um, but it, there are signs that's just started to, to waver a little bit. Obviously, the scenes at Bournemouth that I mentioned there where the, you know, the fans were giving sticks to the players and to him. And then just a, there's just an interesting comment at the weekend. I don't know if you, you saw this, but um, in the build-up to Wolves' uh, goal late on, the 95th minute winner, Everton have got the ball in midfield and the centre-backs are knocking it square, knocking it out to the full-back, coming back again. And the fans just got a little bit edgy and sort of saying, you know, come on, we want to we want to try and win this game. It's bottom of the table. We're at home. It's Boxing Day. We need a win. And, you know, we go, we go forward from that and lose the ball and Wolves break and then they score the winner and Lampard was, was asked about that in his press conference afterwards and whether the reaction of the fans maybe contributed to Everton conceding that goal which is you know it, 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 it's a little bit ridiculous but he, he didn't come out and fully say yes it did but his body language and what he actually said sort of gave the game away that maybe he did think that and I think a few people have got onto that and thought you know, even, if you, even if you think that don't say it don't, yeah. don't, don't, don't come out and, and hint in any way shape or form because What's going to happen over the next few weeks and what happened at the end of last season to sort of give him 
you know, the, the momentum and the belief was that everyone came together and, and got behind this team and sort of dragged them over the line. And I've, I've got no doubt when he does his press conference either today or tomorrow, he will come out and say, everyone needs to be together on the same page to get us out of this. When we get beat on Saturday, he'll come out and say exactly the same thing. And to sort of have a little dig at the fans like that, I think has, has maybe swayed a few more people. So I think the fans feel a bit split at the moment, but, you know, as you mentioned there, um, the board and the people who have run this football club and have run this football club into the ground in recent years are all still there. The people who thought that appointing Rafael Benitez as Everton manager was a good idea yeah. are all still there. And I think as long as they're still there and making the decisions, it doesn't really matter who the Everton manager is. Well, things, things, need to, things need to change throughout the football yeah, club. They're the, um, they're the constant in all of this, aren't they? Yeah, they just come absolutely. And go. Absolutely, and you know they, Lampard, they don't get sacked, do they? Or yeah, no, of course not. And you know, Lampard is is going to get a lot of attention because of his profile and the way he is as a player, and you know, he's, he's sort of a huge figure in English football. And I understand why the media focus is all geared towards him, but if you, if you widen that out a, a little bit and look at why he's in the position he is, taking over a team that is so poor, and why Everton are, have gone from being a team that were you know, consistently top off into the position they are and and decisions that have been made top of the football club in recent years, then I think you're more likely to get your answers as to why Everton are where they are. It's, it's not really about Frank Lampard. It's about it's about those people, like you said, who've been a constant throughout this you know, chronic demise. Uh, time is, is getting short, but just away from the doom and gloom for a minute, <laughs> how's, how's the new stadium coming along? What is the Yeah, plan? it's... It looks amazing. So I think that the plan is, if it all goes well, and you know, this is the one thing you can't really criticise Everton for. They seem to have done this all fantastically well. Um, it looks like by the end of next season they're going to be in there. Um, it looks it looks amazing. You know, I live in in North Liverpool, and whenever I get the trains to the city centre, the yeah. train line sort of is, is elevating. You can you can see it on the front as you go past, and to see it take shape so quickly and sort of come to life is is fantastic. And I suppose it's laced with with sadness in, yeah. in the sense that leaving Goodison Park is going to be grim. And again, you know, to use the city example, I imagine everybody felt the same when when you left Main Road. That it's yeah. such a, a constant in everybody's lives. Necessary um, evil in a way. Then yeah, it had walk, to be had to be done. Yeah, yeah. And that, you know, the thought of walking out Goodison for the last time is is heart wrenching. Yeah, um, but it's it is needed. It, it's necessary. But I suppose the other underlying thing to this is that. You know, we we don't want our you know, with all due respect to these sides, we don't want our first game in the new stadium to be against Norwich or Rotherham or someone like that. You know, you yeah. you want to, you want that is an arena that is befitting for top level football. Well, City set up a, City set up set up a friendly against Barcelona, so just do something. Oh, I mean, we could just do that then. Yeah, just play friendlies there every yeah. week instead against against the world's best teams. Tre- yeah, Trevor but... Sinclair put Barcelona, yeah, to bed uh, oh, with yeah. a winning kick. So, yeah, that... so. That's that's the thing, and the thing that saddens me a little bit as well is you know you look recent big stadium moves. So you think of Tottenham and you think of West Ham. You know, in their last season, their respective old homes, they had they had fantastic campaigns. Then you know Spurs, I don't think lost at all at White Hart Lane in their last season. There, West Ham, it was the season they had uh, Dimitri Payet, and he sort of inspired them to a European finish. And Everton have not got a team capable of doing that. You know, it feels like the the last season at Goodison Park as we sit here right now. Is either going to be one where Everton are battling relegation, or they're going to be in the Championship trying to get up to the Premier League, and and for a stadium that's that's got such great history and has yeah. has been you know the home to so many of our great sides, 
Um, yeah, it's, it's a, bit, a bit sad, really. Well, yeah, you want to be in the Premier League for that new stadium as well, don't you? So mm. It's befitting. Absolutely. Uh, I think you've answered the match on Saturday. I've only got a few minutes left there. Mm. You kind of answered these questions already. <laughs> if you're reading between the lines and the actual lines themselves and what you've already said, you have got zero optimism about Saturday, have you? Does the fact no. City are playing two games within about 70 hours not give you any hope, no? Oh, absolutely not. No, it's, it'll be... Already it's all bench, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, you know, even some of the young players that, that have um, that have been there as well, you know, I was so impressed with, with Lewis last night yeah. in the way in which he sort of dropped into midfield and was just knocking the ball around. You know, for, for an 18-year-old lad, that was, that was fantastic. I think Cole Palmer actually started the game at the Etihad last season as well and, and played really well. So I'm sure there'll be some changes. From, from City, but you know, before the break, I was I was watching City against Brentford, and you know, I was so impressed by the way Brentford went about their job that day and just sort yeah. of clung on and and then took the chances at the end. Everton aren't capable of doing that, and they've not got the outlets from an attacking perspective to be able to give them the sort of valve that will be needed from the, the constant pressure um, so, because it, in Mopé, they've got, not got a physical presence or yeah. a, um, somebody can hold the ball up. They haven't really got pace or consistency on the wings. It, I, I think it would just be a case of we'll go there, it'll be five at the back, it'll be trying to keep the, the score down. Um, I mean, it, it was up to me. I won out of 10 the under-16s and focus everything <laughs> on, 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 the, on, on the Brighton game. Right. Seriously, seriously, I, 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 I wouldn't, anyone who's going to play in that Brighton game, I wouldn't even have them in the squad for the game on Saturday. Um, but listen, I'm, I'm sure that's not going to be the case. I'm, well, I'm the, sure Frank Lampard would be called all sorts if he did that. Well, the main threat for to be from set pieces, do you think? Probably not, no. We're, not, we're awful no. at them as well. Um the, the only the only player who's been who's been good this season is it's been a worry. He's sort of playing in in central midfield. You know, he's sort of been transformed a little bit under Lampard. He, he's been Lampard's biggest success story. Sort of bringing him on from somebody who was out in the cold and sort of a comedy figure with supporters into this this really good central midfield. I think before the break it was only uh, De Bruyne who had more assists on him in the mm. in the Premier League. So he, he's he's been good this season, but. There's, there's, there's not really anything else in, in the side at all. Is Calvert Lewis close to? Yeah, is he close to being back? Well, he, he said that he, he could be back, but again, I, I just want there's, there's no point risking him against City yeah. whatsoever, yeah. Um, because you, you know you, you're probably asking him to chase after the ball for, for an hour, get very little service, and then get brought off when he's knackered, and then you, you, you're asking him to go again against Brighton. Then, so I think he'll. Um, I think he. If he's in the, involved at all, it'll be on the bench, I think. So, yeah, it's, I think it's just going to be a, a bit of a, a tough day all around for Everton. Um, I just hope we can just forget it after this year and it goes past midnight on the Saturday night. Has Anthony Gordon maintained his form that almost got him a big money move away? No, he's been pretty poor, all in all. And I think this is sort of um, view outside of outside of Everton, the Everton fans in the sun were desperate to keep him and, and if he signs a new contract in the next few days, which it looks like he's going to, that, that everybody's going to be really pleased. But I think a lot of fans looked at that that fee that was on the table in the summer. I, I don't think it was ever quite 60 million. I think it was yeah. sort of a, closer to 40. I think a lot of fans were happy to sell him then as, mm-hmm. as much as he was really important in the team staying up last year and you know came into the team and did a really good job. Because I don't, I don't think people looked at him and thought there's, there's necessarily a 40 million pound player there um, right. so I think this may be a bit of a, a miscued view of, of Gordon and, Emer- and Evertonians at the moment but yeah he's, he's been really poor he missed an absolute sitter against Wolves on on, um, on Boxing Day um, and he's just yeah he's, he's been booked I think seven times this season which is sort right. of 
shows you the, the sort of frustration and, yeah. and rashness he's been playing with. So he's been he's been nowhere near it either. So yeah, it's it's very very hard to see Everton getting anything or causing any kind of problems. Sorry to do this, but I end, always end with a score prediction for the match. So. Uh, I'll take a respectable three 0 defeat for the Blues. That's what I went for as well, so I'm happy with that. <laughs> Just keep the goal difference down. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's sadly where we are at the moment, you know. Yeah, dreadful. Well, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the times are hard at the moment, but as always, thanks for coming on because it's even more, you know, really more thankful when things aren't going well that fans come on to chat about their club. So, Matt, thanks for taking the time out to come on. And no problem, mate. It was us. a. Uh, Cathartic experience. <laughs> yes, yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah, you know, when City have had bad results, I've actually kind of enjoyed the podcast more than the, the ones where we win really well. So, which is a bit strange in a way. It is like therapy yeah. without eighty pound an hour charges. So, think, yeah, thanks I think again. Listen to us when we get beat. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, I'm tuning in for a bit of a shout and throw. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Thanks again, and as always, after this weekend, all the best with the rest of the season as well. Cheers, mate. Right. Uh, yeah, thanks again. And right, we'll go back to the panel as we preview uh, the New Year's Eve match. Okay. Thanks again to Matt for speaking to us. Uh, last game of the year. Joe, we're going to be very quick with this preview because we've had a full review in this uh, in this show as well. Uh, so yep. fair to say you will have heard what Matt said. I can summarise it very quickly. <laughs> He's written off any chance of Everton getting anything totally dismissive. He said, yeah. the way Brentford set up before the World Cup, now we can't do that. Uh, obviously not in a great mood, especially after the Boxing Day last-minute defeat to Wolves. Mm. There was two terrible forms against Bournemouth prior to the World Cup. Mm. Fair to say? Is he fair in saying Everton have got no chance this weekend? Or are you still... Like you're still in the mindset of some city fans. Hey, we could uh, could come a cropper if we don't take it seriously. And of course, the one thing Everton do have in their favour is they've had a few days off, which City don't get. So, hmm. is that relevant at all? I don't think it's relevant right now. In that we've just come back from the World Cup. I think it'd be more relevant in about 15 days from now yeah. uh, if the game was them. I think it's probably a good thing now uh, because it's, it, you know, we, we had a decent um, break, didn't we, from uh, that Carabao Cup game to the Leeds game. Uh, and I think this is probably more of a sharpness test and I think we'll see rotation as well. I think players will come in probably like Foden, etc. cetera. Uh, but in terms of um, how I feel, after 30 years' experience watching Manchester City, I will never, ever be confident uh, going into a game that is, quote-unquote, mu- what's the word? Not a must-win, a guaranteed win, if you will, and yeah. especially against Everton Football Club. Times, <laughs> Still scarred, club. yeah. Oh, especially in the Moyes era. I mean, a victory against them was like... Pfft. It was the ultimate, wasn't it? It was like just unthinkable, <laughs> even at home. They just used to always beat us, didn't they? Um, now, being realistic, I'm, I'm expecting us to win, but I, I'm not, you know, 100% confident, especially after that Brentford game, because they have got some awkward, horrible players, haven't they? If they can hang on to something, but I know that's the ultimate pessimist in me, but I'll never, uh, I'm not one of them City fans who can just write a team off, no matter how good we are. It's just, not in my DNA. 
I've just brought up the last eight head-to-head games and we've won them all. So, but you're Free still no Everton. You're still scarred. <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah, think he, we'll, he we'll win, seemed, but it's just it's just the way I'm wired. Well, he seems so down on. You know, Brentford had Tony up front and it they were so well organised, weren't they? And they've got Mopé, Dwight McNeil, you know, just Anthony Gordon, he said, not been in great form. Is their top scorer with three goals this season? Mm, could they? Could, and I said, you'll be a threat at set pieces, though. And he went, no, not really. So <laughs> I couldn't really get much out. Because I always think of Everton, you know, whipping crosses in, they can still cause a threat. Mopé, you know, can obviously. Sim Cahill. Can't have a goal in him, yeah. Uh, it's what is there? What's the is the most problematic outcome? Is that the that Lampard and deep block frustrates us? Two, you know, two blocks of five. They defend deep. You could see a game like that where the game goes on and we're not creating chances. Or do you think, you know, I've asked this before. Are those days gone where for team players like that, we will just create because we've got the likes of Erling Haaland and just different options nowadays. Yeah, I think I think tactically, I don't think they're shrewd enough to do that. I think they don't think they have the tactical intelligence to come to a team of City's calibre uh, and, and hold out for that length of time, even if they were to go up. Um, and I also think when you look at what City play against week in, week out, we probably play against better teams than Everton who can do that and unlock them regularly. So it's... it's um, it doesn't bode well from from an Everton standpoint. I think what could also work against them is that Pep will, I imagine, drill firmly into the player's mind is that remember that Brentford game, you know, stick to our principles, mm. um, don't get frustrated. I think there was an element of, I don't care what anyone says, the World Cup was looming. And yeah. Players were in a weird mental state. I think that played a, a part. I definitely don't think we would have lost that game if it had been just a part of the normal fixture. Um, calendar, no disrespect to Brentford, uh, but it's um, it's hard to see as a pragmatist, even taking your city spectacles off, how Everton can get anything really because it's just such a, a big ask, and especially the way they're playing in the form and the players they have missing. They strike me as very Stuart Pierce like um, mm. in our last season under him. Um, but of course, Everton are in a dilemma. Is that like you can't just keep hemorrhaging managers, can you? Um, when they've had so many, if it keeps them in the Premier League, that might be their yeah their annual cycle. I don't know. I mean, the only club in my lifetime to spend what upwards of three hundred million pounds and get a lot worse. Yeah, because they were I'd better be... when they lived on the shoestring in the Moyes era, weren't they? Yeah, I, I sp- yeah, I said this to Matt when I spoke to him. It's like I've been fooled by some of their summer transfer dealings before. I think it's. I don't know, three years ago, I was like, yeah, a lot of us were saying, oh, they've won, they've won the uh, the transfer window this time around. And it's like, no, nothing changed because they bought loads of midfielders and then we're still weak up front. Of course, Calvert-Lewin's close to coming back, but we'll probably break down again. They've lost with Charleston mm. and replaced with Mopé. You can see why, you know, what a backward step that is. And Cody, Tarkowski, yeah, there's a bit of solidity in defence, but just so, mor- yeah, so uninspiring still a team aren't they uh, yeah. I think it's one yeah, of those the as well midfield's a mess as well even though you know, on paper it looked as though it could do something yeah it's just not playing out that way is it yeah I think it's um, it's definitely one of those um, 
whereby I can understand the logic of what Lampard was doing in the summer, bringing in players like Cody and Tarkovsky, because they, mm. they do have a very Everton feel. Everton, A good Everton side for me is one that's awkward to play against, hard to break down, good at set pieces, uh, always got a goal in them with a few technical players dotted about. And I think the players he brought in fit that category. But the issue is they're so devoid of, of, of confidence and the rest of the squad is such a mismatch of players that have been assembled by various managers that as soon as they have a bad a couple of bad results, they just it, it bottoms out straight away, doesn't it? So yeah. So difficult. Another impossible question is what will the city team be? And I guess the clues come from the bench against Leeds. So the bench was Cow Walker, Calvin Phillips, not mm-hmm. Kevin. Not Kevin. Uh, Jao Concello, Amy <laughs> Laporte, Ortega, Bernardo Silva, Sergio Gomez. No, no. Phil Foden and Cole Palmer. Mm. So, I assume Julian Alvarez, I don't know if he's back, but he would never start. I guess there's a tiny chance if he's back, he could get a few minutes at the end if the game's yeah. going well. But he ain't starting. So the question is, are you expecting, first of all, Kyle Walker comes in? For Rico Lewis? Yeah, I think it's a good chance just to keep Rico Lewis on the ground and, and yeah. keep him wrapped up somewhat uh, because he's still a young kid and even after such a high, if he was to have a poor game and make a mistake, it can can it can it be catastrophic at that age, can't it? So, well, more to the point, it's Chelsea away on Thursday. Yeah. Would you be confident with Rico Lewis playing a game like that? Oh, is that more still getting with him. too far ahead of us? Because if you're not, we need Kyle Walker to get some match time, don't we, to be ready for Thursday. I'd be more confident with Rico Lewis playing on the right than an Akanji. No disrespect mm. to Akanji, uh, because I think the players of their technical ability, as I touched on before, will exploit a side half at um, right back more than a, a natural fullback, even if he's a kid, in my opinion. But um, no, I think I think Walker will come in. To, to build up his fitness and give him some minutes. Uh, I would expect the other three um, to stay the same. I don't think it'd be fair to drop any of them out. Maybe... Cancelo came on in the 68th minute. Yeah, which suggests maybe... suggests getting match fitness into his legs as well. Yeah, maybe... Coming on the left. Possibly. But I think Ake was so good, wasn't he? Um, kind of sweeping around as he does his dots up. Put and around all over the back, doesn't he? Uh, but I don't know. Maybe a Kanji comes out and you put Cancelo on the left and you go with a can- um, Ake left centre half, Stones right centre half, and then Walker on the right. Uh, or maybe Laporte comes in, but it's uh, it's why I'm never good at answering this question. Uh, I would. <laughs> okay, uh, well, I'll do the midfield for you. Of Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva. You happy with that? Um. Yeah. Okay. I, I would I would put um, Bernardo in over Gundogan for this game because they're just going to set up to frustrate, aren't they? <laughs> Any chance of Erling Haaland being rested? Uh, you can never say never, can you, with Pep? But I think he's chomping at the bit, isn't he? He's had a couple of months off. I, I'd expect him to start. Right, well, that leaves four, eight, nine, two wide spots. Mm. That's where it gets tricky for you. So Phil yeah. Foden comes in. Yeah, I think I'll put in. Yeah. Or could you have Grealish, Grealish on, the, on right. the left and Foden on the right? That's all right, isn't it? Yeah, it is, but I prefer Foden on the left. Yeah. Uh, do you and take Mahrez Grealish keeps... out then? 
Because yeah. uh, if you take Grealish out, then you get the whole that momentum building because he's missed a couple of chances midweek, don't you? Well, um, let's be honest, we don't know what Pep's going to do. So, what would you like to happen? I would save Foden and keep him fresh for Chelsea, bring him on in case of emergency, break the glass. And I would have Grealish on the left, I'd keep Mahrez on the right, Haaland down the centre, I'd go with the midfield three you've just selected. Um, left back, despite what I just said, I think we're going to need width against an Everton side, and I'd like two natural fullbacks. So Cancelo left back, Walker right back, uh, and I would personally go with... Uh, you need two ball carriers against a team that's going to go with a, um, a high block and a deep, you know, a deep system. So I'd, I'd go with John Stones and Nathan Ake, and obviously Edison in goal. Uh, I think that should be more than enough to get the job done. Okay. What say you? Yeah, I mean, again, it's don't want to tempt fate because it could always be a banana skin and City tend to didn't see the Brentford defeat coming but I do think there were other factors there as you've mentioned I don't think Everton will offer much going forward so I think we have options and I don't have strong feelings but I think Grealish well, Grealish probably against a low block it could be worse for him You know, maybe it doesn't suit him if Everton is just going to sit deep Mm. But I, I wouldn't be against Foden on the right and Grealish on the left, but ultimately, well, you know, it's one of those, Pep puts a team out, it should be way more than enough to get three points, and it's down to players doing their job, ultimately. Ah, but I'll I think Phil Foden, Foden coming, off, coming off that right v United for that long busting run for that goal, so he can definitely do a job on the right. Yeah, um, I'd like I want Phil Foden in the team, definitely. I think yeah, I'd want to see him get some match time rather than be wrapping in cotton wool for a Chelsea match. Uh, now I want him to see him get some rhythm and momentum. So I definitely want him in the side. I think Cancelo will come in. I think Walker will come in. And yeah, you've got options wide. And if if the game's going well, of course, you use the subs as well. So it's not just about who starts, it's about who finishes and who gets some game time. So yeah, if it's going well, Copal can get on the pitch and stuff like that. So I wouldn't expect him to start. So either way, I think yeah, the constant, yeah unless, unless fatigue's him. an issue, you know, with players and as you say, that risky leads line up or what I thought was risky has certainly helped now because it means we've got plenty of options uh, players who haven't played a lot of football this week. So should be okay. Should be okay. Uh, score prediction from you then uh, I'll go with uh, 3-0 City yeah I did uh, Matt went for that I did everyone's gone for that so I would be happy with the 3-0 so yeah fingers crossed we need to just keep getting a run basically and keep the pressure up on Arsenal and I guess my final question then is any chance 5.30 kickoff I think that Brighton do City a favour later in the day uh, I assume McAllister's not back, and I think Caicedo's, Moise Caicedo's suspended as well, which is bad news for Brighton. But do you think they can take points off Arsenal? Uh, can they? Yeah, absolutely. I think they're a, they're, they're a tricky outfit at the best of times. They're one of the probably the best performance I've seen at the Etihad front for the side this season came from Brighton. Um, the missing players. Did you say is Trossard available? Sorry, I didn't catch that. I, I don't know. I think he is. Yeah, but not not been paying attention to the the injury he's one of Brighton, who, but yeah 
who isn't overawed by the occasion, is he? You know, Hatrick no. at Anfield and he was a nightmare at our place. So they can do it, yeah. But I think Arsenal are just in the shrine at the moment where the SWAT's in all before them. I think their tests are going to come in the next few weeks when they start playing some of the bigger boys. Yeah. Okay. Right. That's a wrap. Uh, Joe, thank you very much for coming on and speaking to us today. No problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, uh, thanks Lloyd, who went earlier, <laughs> if you're listening to this. Yeah, that is a wrap. So uh, looking forward to loads more football. Also, of course, rest in peace to one of, if not the greatest, Pele, a man who did as much as anyone to allow us to call football the beautiful game and a man revered for far more than his football alone. That is a wrap on our show. Until next time, take care, everyone. Stay safe. And as always, up the blues.